My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, really good to be with you. As you know, we go through books of the Bible, um, and this is where we are. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 3 this morning. We're going to be in Luke for um, uh, many months, and we're going through it nice and easy. And um, man, so much for us uh, to learn this morning. I'm excited for this. This morning we have a genealogy section, and uh, there's a few genealogies in the Old Testament. There's a genealogy in Matthew. There's a genealogy in Luke. And uh, we believe that God has stuff to teach us in every word of uh, his word. And so I'm really looking forward to this this morning. Um, as we go through this, I'm going to ask some quick questions, and we'll go through some simple things about genealogies. I want to get into what I think God has to show to us, specifically in this genealogy. And as we begin a new year, uh, as we get into 2024 in January, I'm really encouraged that we're in this this morning. All right, cool. First question, what is the purpose of the genealogy sections of the Bible? There's a lot of good answers to this question. Uh, here's just a few. First, they ground us in history. These are real places. These are real people. Second, they, they connect us to the pieces of God's story. We see how it all fits together. And the third is that they show us God's power and authority. There's promises fulfilled in these generations that we know as we get deeper into Scripture. Fourth is that they show us God's wisdom. We look at these stories and we're reminded that, that God is faithful in all these generations and that not all of these stories were perfect. We see names of people who were caught in wicked sins and, and all sorts of chaos and things that were un, unfathomable um, challenges. And yet God's wisdom brings them into that. And, and none of these characters would have written their own story the way that God wrote their story. And this reminds me of how you and I think at the beginning of a new year. We start thinking, you know, God, I know you've always been writing my story, but, you know, I think I could do a good job uh, personally. You know, like I, I would like to write my 2024. I think it would be, uh, I got some really good plans for it. It's kind of like, like a lot of happy and like healthy um, chapters. There's like chapters where things just like go well, like, and... I had this one idea for a chapter where like my car was gonna break down and it was gonna cost all this money and then instead of that it like didn't at all and it just like went normal, like a normal car like the whole year. And so we have ideas for God, like we have good chapter ideas and that's how you're approaching this year and you say, God, instead of this like awesome story of me overcoming adversity, I have this idea where it's like there's no adversity, and it's just me cruising through life, and things just work out the first time every time, and I think I could write my story better than anyone, and we get to a genealogy section of the Bible. It's really humbling that God is going to write a beautiful salvation story for his glory and it will include every generation of people through every struggle and every tear and every victory. And it might not look how we would have written it, and we get to be part of that. And lastly, the genealogy sections, it shows us, shows us that God's word invites the skeptic. It says, here's dozens of names. Here's stories of hundreds of people. You can check the facts and check the sources. You can argue with your pastors in the Apprentice Academy. Like Tuesday night is an open forum for argument, okay? There's differences between Matthew and Luke's genealogies that scholars have been debating throughout church history. The biggest difference is that we're trying to reconcile Matthew's genealogy going through Solomon and Luke's genealogy leading us through the line of Nathan. And there's some really good arguments that have been made over the years and how we reconcile these things, but it's not easy. But we're not afraid of these debates. And so you say, okay, 
That was a pretty good start. David, genealogies are cool. I accept that. You got me. I was about to leave. <laughs> now I'll stay. I was thinking this would be, this week I was like, man, this would be crazy if this was someone's first week here and they came to church and this was their first Sunday. And then I thought it'd be really crazy if last week was their first week because last week is like first Sunday and they just think, man, this church just feeds you uh, every week apparently and it smells like bacon and in the sanctuary and then you come this week and it's just like, boom, 77 names. <laughs> 75 of them are dead. No food today, no crisp bacon air. Next question. Why do we find this genealogy section here? Why does Luke feel the need to stop such an incredible gospel story right here and just list out a whole bunch of names? I mean, you go back to Luke chapter two, that's like one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. We have children read it every Christmas so we can just cry, right? And then you, you're coming to the baptism of Jesus, this incredible moment. We're heading into the temptation of Jesus, and Luke stops here. We're just about to launch into the ministry of Jesus. But Luke pauses and says, hold on a second. You've got to understand, all of humanity has led to this Messiah. I think you could say it like this. Luke chapter 3 tells us that Jesus spent 30 years preparing for his ministry but Luke chapter 3 also shows us that the universe spent thousands of years preparing for Jesus. There's a bigger story than just Jesus getting ready to launch into his ministry. The story is that all of the earth has needed Jesus. We have thousands of years of human history preparing us for one life, and now is the time he's going to begin his ministry. And so we jump in. First we see verse 23. It says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. So the ministry of Jesus, all the teachings and the miracles leading up to the cross, training his disciples, that all takes place in what we believe is about a three-year window. But before that, we see that Jesus lives mostly out of the spotlight from what we know until he's about 30 years old. The age of 30 in, in the Bible is not a random number. We see it used throughout the Old Testament. In Jewish tradition, it's a requirement for, for service in certain offices. And um, we see a lot of examples of this. And I think that Luke is reminding us these connections with Old Testament history. Genesis 37 tells us that Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery by his brothers. And in God's perfect wisdom, he'd later then be taken by Pharaoh. He endures all sorts of chaos, he's false, falsely accused, falsely imprisoned. Then he interprets the dream, and he's given authority over the land. And when everything turns around and Pharaoh gives him authority to prepare for the famine, what do we see? Genesis 41, 46, it says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. We see this in the Levites in the priesthood. Look at Numbers chapter 4, we find this. All those who were listed of the Levites when Moses and Aaron and the chiefs of Israel listed by their clans and their father's houses from 30 years old up to 50 years old. Everyone who could come to do the service of ministry and the service of bearing burdens in the tent of meeting. So the priests and the Levites. What about King David, 2 Samuel chapter 5? So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. This one's really fascinating because we know that, that um, God sent Samuel to choose David 
to be king. And when David was barely even a teenager, most likely, um, the historian Josephus believes that David was only 10 years old at that time. Uh, most scholars believe he was maybe 13, 15. And yet God doesn't place him on the throne until many years later, likely around 15 years later. It's not like Saul was some great king. It's not like Saul had like really great poll numbers among the people. Why not just roll the dice with the teenager King David? You know, like worst case scenario, you got a teenage king, you know, it's gonna be a little rough around the palace. Like you're gonna have to clean up after him. The royal chefs are gonna be making a lot of pizza and things and leaving his robes on the floor all the time. Teenage kings are not great. King Saul was not great. And yet David waits to take the throne more than 15 years later. This is the wisdom of God. And we look back now and we see some divine foreshadowing of the true and greater David, the Jesus Christ, who would begin his ministry at the same significant age of 30. And so Jewish tradition has recognized the importance of growing into maturity. And this 30 years of age now continues its significance with the life of Jesus I think Luke wants to connect this story again through the story of the Old Testament, through the Old Testament characters, prophets and priests and kings. And now here is Jesus, the prophet, the priest, the king. And now we get to the names in verse 24. Right? Who wants to read? Okay, I'll read. 23, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Muthet, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Junai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Joseph, the son of Jodu, the son of Joanon, the son of Ressa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Er, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Melia, the son of Mena, the son of Metatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nation, the son of Ominadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sarag, the son of Reah, the son of Peleg, the son of Aber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, who was the son of God. That's a cool genealogy for us. Some really incredible things here that, that Luke chooses to stretch his genealogy all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to God. I want to give you a few things I think we can take away from this genealogy this morning. The first is this, that Jesus is connected with every detail of history, beginning to end. Jesus is connected with every detail. And Luke shows us this. Matthew writes for a Jewish audience, his genealogy starts with Abraham. 
He wants to tell the Jewish people that this is the Messiah you've been waiting for. And so he starts with Abraham and he works forward. Luke is writing primarily for a Gentile audience. He's going to travel around preaching the gospel throughout the Mediterranean to all sorts of Gentiles. He's an evangelist. His genealogy starts with Jesus and it takes us backwards. And we get to Abraham and we're only in verse 34. And he keeps going. And he takes us all the way to the beginning. He takes us to Adam. He says, Adam is the son of God. And so Luke takes us to the story of creation. Adam was the son of God. And who was there at the creation of Adam? Jesus was. And so Jesus is the beginning and the end of the genealogy. Jesus is before time and he will be after time. This is an incredible reality for us. What an incredible thing for Luke as a missionary that he can go all around the world and say, this is not a faith just for the Jewish people. This is not a good story just for the people who are descendants of Abraham. This is a good story for anybody who was born of God. Second thing, Luke's genealogy shows us that Jesus is the new Adam. Jesus is the answer for the thing that is wrong with the world that comes through Adam. This is long before God calls Abraham. This is long before God chooses the Israelite people. This goes all the way back to the beginning, the curse that enters the world through Adam. Everyone since Adam has been born of the sin of Adam, a curse that remains for all generations. But Luke here points to Adam to remind us that Jesus is now a new beginning. You can be reborn as sons and daughters of God. You can be born as children of God. The sin of Adam brings death, but the righteous sacrifice of Christ brings life. I like this quote from Daryl Bach. It says, Jesus' genealogy in 323 to 38, our passage this morning, it ties all humankind into one unit. Their fate is wrapped up in Jesus. His ministry, as seen from heaven, represents the focal point of history. In him, the entire hope of the Old Testament is inseparably and eternally bound. In him as well, the fate of all divinely created humans is bound together. The genealogy ties all of us together with a common problem and a common savior. I was thinking this week, like, there's billions of people that have lived on this earth who have chased after endless saviors, endless hopes for their life. And Luke shows us that we have billions of people who are all in need of one savior, the same savior. And every story in this chain is a story of a person who is desperate for the new Adam, for Christ. Some of you men in here are married and you bought your wife a great present for Christmas. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand if you know and you're confident that that was you, men. <laughs> I did not. <clears throat> in a few weeks, my family is uh, taking us on um, a cruise ship. And um, some of you probably are like, already I'm out. Uh, I get that. Cruises are not for anyone. I'll find out if it's for us. One of the stops on the cruise ship is the country of Haiti. And Jess unwrapped her gift from me at Christmas. It was an envelope with a paper in it. 
And the paper informed her, you know, it's one of those where you didn't really buy anything, you just printed something. And the paper informed her that I had purchased her a, um, a ticket to ride on a zip line in Haiti. It's the longest zip line in the world that goes over water, all over water. And you go 50 miles an hour. And instead of going upright, I paid for the one where they have you go like Superman style. <laughs> it looks like that. <laughs> so I did this partly because it's cool. But partly why I purchased the one where you go Superman style is because you get to skip all the safety training because you really have no control of anything. And, <laughs> and we don't have time for like, we don't have time for all the safety training. Like it's, the days are packed. And so just quick show of hands. Who thinks this is a good Christmas present? Thank you. Thank you. Did you want to look around? And so when I tell people that this is what I chose, the most common reaction people say, there's no way I'm doing a zip line in Haiti. I don't want to die. <laughs> and my reaction is, so you're telling me that thousands of people have done this zip line. There's somebody on this zip line right now while you're talking to me. They're alive. And you are going to be the, the one person who dies? That kind of sounds like narcissism to me. <laughs> so you think that the cables are going to work every day for year after year, and as soon as you get there, the cables are going to be like, you know what, let's snap for this dude from California. <laughs> and so I say all this. Because Luke gives us 77 generations of people. He gives us thousands of years of human history where we've seen billions of people chasing after idols and false gods and false hopes. And in the end, all we see is that Jesus was the hope all along for everybody. There was no other thing to put your hope in. Every other thing failed. Every other thing came up short. And now here we are in 2024, and we think that we're gonna find something better to put our hope in than Jesus, we're tempted to think, you know what? You know, money never really worked out for anybody in all of human history, but I think this is the year that like, man, if I just, if I just really chase after money, it's gonna be a good year for me. We're tempted to think that this next big thing is gonna change everything for us, and Luke just lays it all out. He says that the curse of Adam is defeated in Jesus. It's Jesus or it's nothing. If you think you're going to invent some new thing to put your hope in or your trust in this year, that 77 generations have failed before you trying the same thing, I gotta tell you, you're gonna fail. Does that make sense? There's nothing new. It's incredibly arrogant for us to to think that we are going to find something outside of the God who has been the only thing all throughout history that can be depended on. There's so much pride when we look to ourselves and the things of this world. 
Winstow Village Church, your story can be anything up to this point. You could be drowning in anything right now, and yet Jesus Christ, the new Adam, he changes everything for us. It's all that we have, but it's more than enough. Amen? Yes? Yeah. Third thing we see, nothing is insignificant in the story of God. Nothing is insignificant in the story of God. We see a long line of names. How many of these names have we never heard of at all? I was opening up commentaries and I was like, man, Village Church is going to love hearing some deep analysis on all these names. And most of the commentaries are like, yeah, we don't know any of these guys. We know nothing about them. I've got nothing for you. One of the commentaries, one of the, one of the top commentaries on the Gospel of Luke, dude just straight up skips most of this whole section. He's like, I can tell you about Noah. Uh, <laughs> Let me tell you right now, the way things are tracking, if I end up in a genealogy, I'm going to be one of the ones you skip over, you know? I'm going to be one of the ones that, like, I don't know, nothing about that guy I really remember. And yet every day that we wake up and we go about the work that God has given us, we are doing things that have kingdom implications. They might not be um, the most memorable branch on the vine. Adam is the first man to sin, and then we get 75 other names here, and then we get Jesus sinless and arriving to defeat sin. Thousands of years of a world being in desperate need of a savior, and generation after generation, children are born, the savior has not come, and now Jesus is here, and his, his life now speaks hope into the future, but it also speaks into the past, and it declares that, that God has been working all along, that there was significance all along. I think that this genealogy points to what we find in a place like Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so you can be content to just simply be on the vine with Christ. Amen? Your life is significant because God speaks significance into it. Not because you're going to be remembered by generations for whatever it is. I've shared this before. Um, 2019, there was a, a Bloomberg survey. They surveyed 2,000 young people in America, and they asked the question, do you aspire to become a social media influencer? And 86% of them said yes. <laughs> That's scary. You're like, I'm going to pack up my family and go live in the our culture says, I want more influence and authority and power. I want everyone to know who I am. I want to be known for how great I am, how cool I am. What do we do? We cultivate a church family. We model for our children and the people in our lives that, that the simple, beautiful life of significance in the small, ordinary life as a branch connected to the vine that is enough for us. That's enough for God's people. We were gathering um, to pray on Friday as men, and um, Jeff McCleary prayed, and he, and he said, I, I've only been at Village Church for three years, and I don't even know all the names of so many men and women who built and protected this church over the years, but my family benefits from the work that they've done, because now I get to raise my family here. I thought that was so cool, and 
I remember talking about something similar on the last morning of our men's advance in the fall, just saying, you know, we want to cultivate a men's ministry where every man is part of building a culture of men who pursue Christ and lift each other up, and we, we hate what is evil, and we cling to what is good, and, and that one day all of these seemingly insignificant things are, are cultivate something that lasts. And some of you are raising a son right now who maybe can barely walk, and yet one day I hope he gets to grow up in a church where the men and women have been praying for and protecting and cultivating a church that loves Christ and submits to Christ. And they will never know all of the names of the men and women who faithfully remained on the vine after year and year. And, and the men and women who, who faithfully kept foolish and prideful leaders from taking charge in a church and kept foolish and prideful teachers from slipping in and taking power and steering the church away from the simple truth of God's word. Maybe you feel like, look, if God is the vine and we are all branches, that sounds great, but I'm a pretty insignificant branch. I'm just trying to get through life. I'm not the branch that everybody knows. I think we just say this, just to summarize this. The branches do not bring significance to the vine. The vine brings significance to the branches. God speaks significance into your life. Every detail of your life matters, not because we're looking at your life and we're like, wow, it's you. wow you're so awesome. Every detail of your life matters because God is infinitely worthy and God is infinitely good and he speaks this and, and he, he causes this to be reality. Maybe it's hard to see it. Maybe it's hard to see it in the smallest moments of life when you're toiling the hard ground but God is working in your life and your struggles matter and therefore your pain matters and your story matters. Not because you have to infuse your life with meaning by going out and achieving things and making a name for yourself, but simply because you were created by God and you stayed connected to him. I hope you believe that, those church, amen? Yeah. And then just end with this. The reason that we give a whole Sunday morning to a genealogy section in the Bible is not so that we can just think that like we're a cool church and we're better than like the other churches. You know? <laughs> so our pastors can go to a pastor's conference with our heads held high and we're like, we're doing 18 months in the gospel loop. I know, it's pretty cool. What'd you guys do, like a friendship series? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Slow and steady, that's the way we do things. And those genealogy sections, we're not skipping them. First of all, you know you go to that conference, there's gonna be some other pastor who's like, yeah, I did a whole month in the genealogy. Uh, I just felt like there's just too much there, gotta slow it down. <laughs> Filmed a bunch of pod, we, we started a whole podcast on the genealogy actually. Yeah, he's like, you know. Which, you know, coincidentally, we don't go to pastor's conferences, and that's probably why. Uh, <laughs> This is not a contest to see who can go to the most extreme lengths to prove that every word of God's word is important to us. But we just simply believe it. And we look at these words and we don't skip over these words because they remind us that this is the God that we worship. 
we look at Luke 3.23, we get another facet of the glory of God. When you approach God, when you come to him in prayer, when we get to stand and sing to this God, this is that God. The God who was in all things, in every generation, in every birth and every death, the God who never needed anyone, certainly not me and you, and yet he's been working in all these stories through every generation, and he cares about you, he cares about your story and your struggles. I love that our church is encouraging the men and women to be accountable in prayer and journaling this year. Something I'll do throughout the year is just take out my journal and write down everything that I'm worrying about. And so I'll just write worries, January. <laughs> That's the title. Sometimes I feel like things are heavy and it's because I haven't done that in a while. I haven't just like brought it all to God. You pray for individual things here and there. You worry about individual things scattered throughout the day. And then deep down, you just know that there's a lot of things that are weighing on you but you're afraid to put them all on one list because it's gonna look like really big and then that's just gonna amplify it all and you're like, you know, I got a lot of little giants I'm facing and I kinda know they're there, but if I write them all in a list, then it's like one big giant dot, dot doc or whatever, you know? Or like all my problems, like dot PDF. But I think it's an act of I think it's an act of courage to regularly just list out all of the things that you're worried about and just take it straight to God. We do this because we know that the Holy Spirit can then whisper to us, you know that I'm bigger than all of these things, right? You know that I've done far greater things than this. You know that I've brought so many people through the fires and you know that I've brought you this far, right? We bring things to God. If you want someone with a track record of success, might I suggest the God of the Bible, right? This week, I was thinking, I know I'm getting old because I'm starting to get really grumpy when young people try to help me with things. <laughs> like, you take your car to a mechanic and he's like 24 years old, so like fresh out of the womb, and... <laughs> And you're like, who are you? Why are you talking to me? Um, go get your dad. <laughs> you should be in school. You should be in, in school or daycare. <laughs> I need to know who is the adult fixing my car today. And you start pointing at the old guys in the back and you say, that guy, he can fix my car. That guy looks like he's seen some things. He's fixed some cars. He can touch my car, not you. Not you. Luke says, you think God doesn't know what he's doing? Look at his track record. <laughs> I'm just gonna lay it out for you. This is his track record. This isn't some made up fairy tale of this magical savior who pops up out of nowhere and has all these good ideas for your life. This is a God who loves his people and he has been working from the beginning. He has shown this. Think of the scripture here, 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. How do I know he cares for me? Because history shows us that he has always cared for his people over and over. You can trust 
this God. Amen? Why would we not bring our burdens to this God? Where else can we go? Where are you going to bring your burdens? You're going to bring them to Google. You're going to bring them to your financial advisor or your spreadsheets. First and foremost, we bring everything to the Lord. Yeah? I think in God's wisdom, we get to start a new year in January, and we open up to a genealogy section, and... (laughs) We get to read a Sunday morning, we read a whole bunch of names, but beneath the surface, it's so much more than that. We get to spend our morning being reminded that this is another year that we can trust God. And Luke's genealogy is a gift to God's people. It's a reminder of the God that we worship. God's not sitting up in heaven saying, I wonder what all the little humans are gonna do today. God is active and powerful and God is orchestrating. God was not forgetful then. He's not going to be forgetful now. This is good news for us. Some good news for us this morning. The genealogy of Jesus shows us that the God who was faithful throughout all generations will be faithful to this generation. And so we get to this in January, we get to start a new year and people make fun of New Year's resolutions and that's fine, but I I think a new year is kind of cool. It feels fresh. It feels like you get a new chance to say, I wanna live a life that's worthy of the God who called me. And God has shown himself to be faithful. He's shown that he will give everything that his people need for them to follow him and do the things that he's called them to do. And so why not me this year? Why can't that be my story this year? Does that make sense? I'm gonna give you a chance to pray silently this morning. I'm gonna ask you some questions. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Well, today is January 14th. For some reason, God decided to wake all of us up again this morning and we get to look ahead to a new year. And I just wanna ask you, if you had a blank piece of paper and you were sitting all alone at the beach right now, thinking about all the things that you're worried about in this new year, if you were staring at that blank piece of paper, what would you write? that paper. Take a moment and tell those things to God. Would you just say those things to God? but even a passage as simple as ours. How does this encourage you when you think about your worries? Do you think about the God of 77 generations listed here? Would you think about that for a moment? 
good for us as God's people to say really clearly that God is not overwhelmed by anything we could bring to him. There's nothing on your list that is a surprise to him. There's nothing that overwhelms him. I'm going to give you a chance to just in your own in your own hearts to pray and just tell God that you trust him, that you trust him with everything that you face today. you deserve.